So you've probably heard the saying, you know, every cloud has a silver lining, right? The, the idea being that, you know, bad things and good things sometimes go together and you can't quite separate them. Maybe you've heard some of the old good news, bad news jokes. Have you heard those? There, there's some good ones out there. I've got one for you this morning. A man named Tom was with his dear friend, Larry, who was dying. And Tom says to Larry, let me know if there's baseball in heaven. So the next day, Tom was sleeping, and he, he awoke to the sound of Larry's voice. Larry says, Tom, I have good news and bad news. Tom says, what's the good news? Larry says, there is baseball in heaven. So Tom says, what's the bad news? Larry says, you're, pre you're pitching on Tuesday. <laughs> Don't think that was quite the, the uh, response he was looking for. <laughs> the book of Jeremiah, in some ways, is kind of like a good news, bad news joke. You finally got it. <laughs> the book of Jeremiah is a lot like a good news, bad news joke but mostly bad news. I mean, Jeremiah, I don't know if you realize this, but Jeremiah is the longest of the prophets. It's longer than Isaiah. Isaiah, you look at Isaiah, you say, well, 66 chapters. I, Jeremiah's only got 52. But the chapters are longer in Jeremiah. So Jeremiah is actually the longer book, if you count pages or words or whatever. In the first 29 chapters of the book of Jeremiah is down, 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 down. And at the beginning of the book, Jeremiah is preaching. He begins to preach in the 13th year of Josiah, which would be 626 B.C., give or take a smidge. If you've had my classes, you know that our, our Old Testament dates can be off just a little bit because of, of the way they reckoned rains and those kind of things. 13th year of Josiah. Josiah was a pretty good king, but Jeremiah's message was from the very beginning, the Babylonians are coming. See, the people as a whole had continued to sin and were continuing to grow worse and worse. Now, have you ever had anybody tell you not to pray? Stop praying. Three times Jeremiah is told, Jeremiah, the Lord tells him, okay? You would sort of think that if the Lord told him not to pray, he wouldn't pray, right? Jeremiah, don't pray for this people because punishment must come. And poor Jeremiah cared so much for his people, he continued to pray anyways. So finally in chapter 15, God says, Jeremiah, pray all you want. The punishment is coming. And so they, they waited for the Babylonians to come. The false prophets, of course, ran around 
saying, ah, Jeremiah's wrong. The Babylonians aren't coming. And even after the Babylonians came and conquered him, there were false prophets saying, oh, yeah, in, in a year or so, we'll, we'll be back to normal. Sort of sounds like the news today, don't it? Chapters 30 through 33 are the good news. 29 chapters of bad news. Four chapters of good news. And then beginning with chapter 34, we go back to bad news. And Jerusalem falls. And the fall of Jerusalem was so cataclysmic, it's recorded twice in the book of Jeremiah. In chapter 39 and again in chapter 52. Good news. Bad news. Kind of makes that little slice of good news important, doesn't it? So you look at chapters 30 through 33, and there's a section in there that you're probably all familiar with, you've probably covered in your, your basic theology class, and that's the New Covenant. Good news. Israel is going to be restored. Israel is going to be restored. At this time in history... The kingdom of Judah is surviving, but the northern tribes, which took the name Israel in the, in the later times when they were a split kingdom, is gone. To say that Israel is going to be restored implies much more than Judah is going to survive. The tribes that are gone are going to come back. God is going to save them, too. Good news. It's intriguing. As you read through this section, there's, there's a couple of phrases that stand out. And one of, one of those is, uh, I am with you. Now, back in chap, chapter 1, when God commissioned Jeremiah, he told him uh, on two different times there, I am with you to save you. And in chapter 15, when Jeremiah had all but given up on ministry and God is effectively recommissioning Jeremiah at that point, he's, he says again, I am with you. You look at how that phrase is used in the Old Testament. The people that were told, I am with you. In OT2 this morning, we talked about Joshua. I am with you always implies God's provision and protection. If God's there, you've got the guarantee. I am with you. You say, well, that's, that's fine. Jeremiah was, was a prophet. Jeremiah was a good guy. But it's interesting, in chapters 30 through 33, God several times tells Israel, I am with you. Take a look at chapter 30, verse 11. 
For I am with you to save you, declares the Lord. Chapter 42, verse 11. He comes back to this again later in the book. 42, 11. Do not fear the king of Babylon of whom you are afraid. Do not fear him, declares the Lord. For I am with you to save you and to deliver you from his hand. We could look also at chapter 46. I am with you. Israel was divided. The northern tribes are gone. The Assyrians took them into captivity. The southern tribes have continued to sin worse and worse and worse, and they're on the verge of destruction. And the destruction's coming, and there's no way to avert it now. But in the middle of that, God says, there's good news. There's hope. Because beyond this judgment that is about to drop on you is restoration. I am with you. Another phrase that stands out is is that they would be God's people and God would be their God. This this goes back to Exodus chapter 6. Exodus chapter 6 is God is, is coaching Moses. Exodus 6 verse 7, I will take you to be my people and I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the burden of the Egyptians. Jeremiah picks up this phrase as well. So if you look at chapter 30, verse 22, And you shall be my people, and I will be your God. That was God's intention from the very beginning when he brought them out of Egypt. And he has not given up that purpose. We'll skip over 31 verse 1. We're coming back to that in a moment. 31. I need my glasses. That's what happens when you get old. Verse 33, and I will be their God and they shall be my people. That's right in the middle of the paragraph that we call the New Covenant. Chapter 32, verse 38, and they shall be my people and I will be their God. God is restoring them, not just to their former condition, but to their former purpose. So there's a phrase in chapter 31 that I want to focus in on 
for the remainder of our time, and it's, it's got to be one of the most shocking statements in the Old Testament. It, it just, every time I read it, it makes me stop right in my, dead in my tracks. Chapter 31, look at verse 2. The people who survived the sword found grace in the wilderness. Now, I could keep you occupied the whole rest of the day by just stopping right there and saying, go find a quiet corner and think about that. The people who survived the sword found grace in the wilderness. Verse 1, he, he actually opens this section, this paragraph, by going back to the relationship. At that time, declares the Lord, I will be the God of all the clans of Israel, and they shall be my people. And the verses leading up to this, he describes how he will restore them, how he will bring them back from all the places where he has scattered them. And I will be the God of the, all the clans of Israel. Wait a minute. All that's surviving is Judah. Israel's gone. Northern tribes are gone. He has to mean here that he is going to restore all of them. That's profound. And in that day when he gathers them, he will really be their God and they will be his people. And at this point, I imagine Jeremiah's readers, if they're, if they're facing destruction, if they believe what he's telling them about what's coming, are saying, it doesn't make sense. All I can see is judgment. All I can see is pain. Cold and fear and pain and darkness. Thus says the Lord, the people who survived the sword found grace in the wilderness. Wait a minute, Babylon's not a wilderness. What do we mean when we talk about the wilderness? Wilderness usually refers back to that experience that they had, that 40 years they spent in the Sinai Peninsula after they come out of Egypt. Now, what was that like? Well, first of all, what was the reason for that time? It was because they got to Kadesh Barnea and they saw how hard it was going to be to take the land, or so they thought, that they just chickened out and turned back. See, when they come out of when they came out of Egypt, they were supposed to be on the march to the land. They were going to spend a short time at Mount Sinai learning from God, but they were only an eleven days' journey from the land. Deuteronomy tells us eleven days. 
but they failed. And it was because of that failure that they were condemned to 40 years in the wilderness. Now, I don't know if you've ever seen pictures of the Sinai. We, when we say desert or when we say wilderness, we, we tend to think of, you know, sand. We think of the American Southwest where it's sand and sand and sand and sand and more sand. And beyond that, there's sand. But if you've seen pictures of the Sinai, it's rock. More vertical than horizontal. Not much green stuff in the Sinai. There is no way, humanly speaking, they could have survived 40 years in the Sinai. Group that size. Couldn't have happened. Not enough water. Not enough green. And if we're understanding the numbers in the book of Numbers correctly, they had an army of 603,550 men. That's not counting women and children or the aged who could no longer go out to war. So we're talking a population of 2 to 3 million plus livestock. No way they could survive that. We say wilderness. As, as Jeremiah's listeners would have heard the word wilderness, they would have gone punishment. The wilderness. The 40 years in the wilderness was punishment. That was rough. If I told you The Martians are going to take over Bennington this afternoon. Get your tent, your hatchet, your axe, your box of matches, head for the hills, because you don't want to be here when the Martians land. Imagine for a moment what that'd be like. You city folks who are used to running water and electricity are suddenly camped out in the snow-covered hills, scrounging for food and trying to catch rabbits. You ever try to catch a rabbit? Just think about that. When, when Jeremiah says, the people who survived the sword found grace in the wilderness. Wilderness brings up this idea of this this horrible wasteland that they, they languished in for 40 years. In what sense did they survive the sword? Well, here's one of those things where Jeremiah seems to be comparing the original wilderness experience and this judgment that is coming because they really didn't get slaughtered with the sword when they come out of Egypt. Not that Pharaoh didn't try. Pharaoh had a water problem. 
But when the Babylonians come, there are going to be many who fall by the sword. It is going to be war, and they are going to be on the losing end of it this time. So he uses wilderness to call up that original Exodus event, and yet he seems to be talking about what's coming. Those who escape the sword. The the word escape there is a word that literally means to flee from battle, to get out of the fight. Cowards. Turn tail and run. Complete rout. The ones who survive are going to be the ones who escape. But those who escaped found grace, favor in the wilderness. Did they find favor in the wilderness? What kind of favor did they find in the wilderness? It's a rough life. How many of us would choose that kind of life? Not many. And yet, for 40 years, God took care of them. Yeah, there were times they ran out of water or ran out of food. God was testing them, he says. And they whined and they complained and they grumbled. Even after time after time, he had saved them and given them what they needed. Every time things got tough, they panicked. But he always took care of them. They had manna for 40 years. Now, if you ate nothing but manna for 40 years, I suppose you would get tired of it. They did. But it was apparently good food. It's like cakes baked with honey. Mmm. And God provided it every day, six days a week. They gathered enough on the sixth day for the, for the seventh day. They had manna every day. And that manna continued until they entered the promised land. As we looked, looked at in OT1 or OT2 this morning, as we looked at the first chapters of Joshua, It was not until they had crossed the Jordan River into the land and they ate for the first time of the produce of the land because it was springtime and the barley was ready for harvest. It's right at Passover time if you look at that context. And that's the time of the barley harvest. So the barley is ripe. They are walking into... Fields ripe for harvest. 
and they cross into the land and they eat the food of the land for the first time. And that day was the last day that they had manna. They didn't have any manna after that because God had given them the land. But for 40 years, God gave them manna every day. God gave them water in a wilderness where there was not enough water for 3 million people plus cattle. I read one time where our soldiers in Iraq, Kuwait, how much water they needed per day. When you consider drinking and cooking and cleaning, I think it was like five gallons a day per person. That's a lot of water. God gave them water in the wilderness. God gave them food in the wilderness. Deuteronomy 29. Let me get my reference here. Deuteronomy 29, verse 5. I have led you 40 years in the wilderness. Your clothes have not worn out on you, and your sandals have not worn off your feet. You have not eaten bread, and you have not drunk wine or strong drink, that you may know that I am the Lord your God. God proved himself to them in the desert. He proved to them beyond all doubt that he could take care of them. Now, how long does a pair of shoes last you? Year? Two years if you don't wear them every day? You go down to the local store and buy a new shirt. How long does that shirt last you? 40 years? But it doesn't. Yet somehow, the clothes they came out of Egypt with lasted them 40 years in the wilderness. That's a miracle. God took care of them. I don't think I'd have taken care of them. Ornery, obnoxious, whining and complaining all the time. I kind of agree with my sister on that, my, my sister Sherry, uh, who is, is now with the Lord, but she had a sign on the wall over her television that said no whining. God took care of them 
That's grace. God provided for them. God protected them. I am with you. And he proved over and over again that he was indeed their God and they were his people. And Jeremiah is looking ahead and he's, he's talking in this little slice, 30 through 33, about a time when the judgment that they're about to face will be over and God will restore them. may not be easy, but the survivors find grace in the wilderness. Mind-boggling. He said, well, I'm not going to Babylon. Probably wouldn't want to go to Babylon these days anyways. But you may spend some days or months in the wilderness. Because we live in a fallen world and we all face those wilderness experiences, those days when nothing seems to go right. And sometimes that wilderness is because we're in ministry. I've been in ministry quite a few years now, about 30 years. Would I go back? Would I change that? Sometimes I, I think I would, but I don't think I would. Because ministry has some ups, too. You guys who've been in ministry should hear an amen. Amen. But ministry has its hard days. When you find out that a member in your congregation is in trouble, one sort or another, and you hurt for them. That's all you can think about. Sometimes the the ministry becomes a wilderness for a time. And sometimes we're in the wilderness because we deserve it. Because God offers us the land and we get as far as Kadesh Barnea and we say, no, thank you. Why don't you hang on to that, Lord? Give it to somebody else. Foolish. Sometimes we're in the wilderness because of our own stupidity. The people who survived the sword found grace in the wilderness. The next two lines are are somewhat difficult, and I don't think they're essential for our, our point right now. But look at the next two lines, second and third lines of verse 3. I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have continued my faithfulness to you. 
couple of you guys are, are taking Hebrew with me. So the rest of you, of you probably haven't had Hebrew, except maybe a couple of the faculty. Let me explain to you what that means in English, what the Hebrew means. It means, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have continued my faithfulness to you. You say, that's exactly what the translation says. You're right. You catch on quick. God is a God of faithfulness. The word faithfulness here is a word that's usually translated loving kindness or loyal love. It's chesed. So I tell my Hebrew students, you've got to have a good cold to speak Hebrew. Chesed. It's a hard word to translate in English because it has to do with, with love and loyalty. It's doing what's best for someone else, even at cost to yourself, even when it's not to your advantage. God is a God of chesed, just as he told Moses back in Exodus 34. He is a God of loving kindness, and he loved Israel. He chose them for himself, and having made a commitment to the him, to them, no matter what they go through, even when he has to punish them, he loves them, and he's faithful to them. Now, of course, that's Old Testament, and we're in the New Testament, and God doesn't love us anymore, right? And clearly, New Testament tells us God saves us because he loves us. What can you do to get out of God's love? Paul says nothing. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Folks, that should be an encouragement to you today. Israel was about to go into exile and they were going to spend 70 years in Babylon. But even in the midst of that, Jeremiah carves out these four chapters and he says, but God will someday restore you. Because those who survived the sword found grace in the wilderness. I don't know what wilderness you're facing right now or what wilderness you could face this semester. I don't know. But when you face that wilderness experience, we all do at one time or another, come back to Jeremiah. Those who survived the sword found grace in the wilderness. Good news, bad news. Bad news is you're going to face problems. Good news is 
God will be right there with you. Let's pray. Father, we're not Israel. We didn't replace Israel. You still have a plan for your beloved people, Israel. We know that. And yet, we know from the New Testament, you love us too. And we are recipients of your love and grace. We pray that no matter what we face this week, this month, this semester, this year, you will constantly remind us, even in those wilderness days, your love is there. Your grace is there. Your faithfulness is there. Thank you, Lord.